Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who keep me loving, learning, and growing every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but thankfully we're in this together and we have a lot of wonderful people to help us along the way. Now, where did you get your information and know-how regarding how to be in a successful, mutually beneficial, romantic relationship when you were a teen? I know. (laughs) If you're lucky, you had a knowledgeable patient mentor or parent who helped you navigate these new and exciting waters. But for most teens, books, movies, magazines, and friends were the guides and gurus, and maybe not such good ones after all. For me, I think my first education about romantic sexual relationships came from reading the book Forever by Judy Bloom, and that was passed around on the field hockey bus in middle school. These days, with 24-hour access to reality TV and, yes, porn, what do our kids know about how to treat one another, love one another, respect one another in romantic relationships? Just like the need to talk to kids and teens about financial responsibility, friendship, nutrition, and stress management, we have got to talk to them about romantic relationships. And that is why we have an outstanding guest today, Dr. Richard Weisbord. Now, Richard Weisbord is a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where he directs the Human Development and Psychology Program and the Kennedy School of Government. His work focuses on moral development, vulnerability and resilience in childhood, and effective schools and services for children. He directs the Making Caring Common Project, an awesome project, a national effort to make moral and social development priorities in child raising and to provide strategies to schools and parents for promoting caring in children. He is also conducting research on how older adults can better mentor young adults and teenagers in developing caring, ethical, romantic relationships. You've seen his work in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and NPR. He's the author of The Vulnerable Child, named by the American School Board Journal as one of the top 10 education books of all time. His most recent book, The Parents We Mean to Be, was named by The New Yorker as one of the top 24 books of 2009. And you may have seen that just recently, it was all over the news, Dr. Weisbord and his team released a report called The Talk, How Adults Can Promote Young Healthy Relationships and Prevent Misogyny and Sexual Harassment. This report highlights what adults have not been doing to help prevent misogyny among teens and to prepare young people for caring, ethical, romantic, and sexual relationships. You can get all the information you need about this report and on Dr. Richard Weisbord at makingcaringcommon.org. We are so excited to discuss this interesting and necessary topic with the fabulous Dr. Richard Weisbord. Thank you so much for joining us on how to talk to kids about anything. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Well, before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity and pleasure to read your books or hear you speak, 
What has gotten you so interested in exploring this issue of how to talk to kids about love and how kids need to be taught how to be in a caring and ethical romantic relationship? You know, I, th- I think there's a few things. One is I'm a, you know, I'm a faculty member um, at a graduate school with a lot of people in their 20s who are, um, you know, often a little bit of a mess trying, you know, trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure out work and they're trying to figure out love. And, um, you know, I have lots of conversations with my students over the years um, about their relationships. And, um, and you know, it's a, it's a, we'll get into this, I, but, you know, it's a daunting, complex thing to try and figure out. Who do you, who do you want to spend the rest of your life with? How do you know when you're in love? How do you know when to make a commitment to somebody? Um, you know, as my kids got older, my kids are 27, 24, and 21, you know, they were also dealing with these issues. So, um, so it was very personally driven in that way. I also just felt like, you know, um, Freud said there are two things that are most important in life, work and love. Um, I think one could argue that love is actually more important than work. Mm-hmm. And we do an enormous amount to prepare people for work. I mean, that's what schools are designed to do. Um, parents are very focused on that. We have big industries that are designed to prepare people, for, kids for work. We do really nothing to prepare them for love. So that's another sort of passion that that drove, that has driven my interest in this. Mm, so interesting. So what do you think are the main challenges that are facing young people today in developing love relationships, romantic and sexual relationships that are meaningful and caring? Well, you know, I think one of the things that is important to to clarify is that, you know, I think if you were to ask the general public that question, I mean, we've asked versions of that question to the general public. People think, you know, the main challenge is the hookup culture. And mm. they, uh, you know, people estimate that, you know, 60, 70% of kids are hooking up regularly. Um, You know, we've done surveys both about what people's perceptions are of the hookup culture, and we've looked at a lot of data about what the reality is about the hookup culture. And the reality is that many fewer young people are hooking up than people think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, around, it looks like around 10% of young people are, are hooking up regularly. Um, and most people guess, you know, 60%. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we do see, though, is that all this attention to hooking up, in a way, has masked or, you know, has buried a couple of problems that are much more serious. One is very high rates of misogyny and sexual harassment among high school and college students. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is, you know, the number of young people who, particularly in their 20s, are anxious about whether they're going to develop a romantic relationship and um, and our lack of preparation. You know, we do almost nothing to prepare them. And they see an adult landscape. You know, many of them, almost half of them, have parents who are divorced. Many of them have grown up with parents who have been unhappily married. And it's not, you know, they don't have role models, immediate role models. Most of them are really healthy, mature, energizing, romantic relationships. So they're very understandably worried about it. And... Um, I think that's the main challenge, mm-hmm. is how do we help them 
develop, you know, meaningful, reciprocal, caring, tender, focused, generous, romantic relationships. Mm. So how can we as parents and educators and mentors help to prevent misogyny and harassment among teens and young adults? What are some some tips or or some strategies? Well, you know, some of this is pretty straightforward. I, I mean, straightforward in a sense, and some very co- some of it's very complicated. You know, um, you know, one thing very simply is that I think adults have been very passive about this, mm-hmm. um, educators and parents. You know, I, my, my students are wonderful. Many of them are former teachers, but I give them, and I give this exercise to teachers when I do workshops too. It's you know, you're in the cafeteria. And you overhear three boys talking in the cafeteria, you know, high school juniors. And a girl walks in and the boys say, I, you know, I hit that last week mm-hmm. um, or call her a slut or a hoe. And like, what do you do? And, you know, most of my teachers who are very capable, really don't know what to say or say they wouldn't say anything. that They would be written off. And I've similarly, you know, talked to parents <clears throat> who say that who have adolescent boys you know, who say misogynistic or degrading things about girls. And they don't, you know, they don't know what to say. Right. Or they're listening to song lyrics. I mean, you know, there's a lot of misogyny in song lyrics or on TV shows or in film. Right. And again, parents and, you know, often don't say anything in those situations. And, you know, so the basic tip is it's really critical to say something. <laughs> that, you know, not saying something is a form of um, of support. It's mm-hmm. a silent form of support. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we don't want to be complicit in this. Um, you know, even if you're just saying that you think it's really degrading and inappropriate, I mean, just that is an important thing to, to say. And, you know, if your kids respect you at one level, they can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the other thing that this really points to is and by the way, you know, these degrading comments, there's sometimes boys making them about girls mostly, but there are also girls making them about girls, mm-hmm. and there's sometimes girls making them about boys. Sure. So it's not just about um, misogyny. It's not just about boys making de- degrading comments to, to girls, um, about girls. Um, but, you know, I think it's also really important to talk to your kids about what they mean by those terms why they're using them, why they think they're funny, why they bond bond with other kids um, through this kind of degradation. What's different from, you know, why, you know, a lot of kids would never say something racist, but will say something sexist. Mm. And I think that's something to, you know, very concretely ask your kids about. Mm. Why would you not say something racist, but you feel comfortable saying something sexist? Um, some kids wouldn't say something homophobic, but they would say something sexist. Um, so, you know, these are important questions to engage your kids about. And the final thing I would say about it is I think it's also very important to be specific and concrete about how, you know, we live in a country where there are high rates of sexual assault. You know, one in five college-age women are reporting being sexually assaulted. And that, you know, we can create degrading, hostile atmospheres for women that tacitly um, can support uh, can make can pave the way in subtle ways for much more serious forms of harm, like sexual assault. And we don't want to contribute to cultures or atmospheres that in any way permit or make easier sexual assault. I think that's so important, that scripting, and just so that parents are really hearing that, that they can actually say those words 
and be able to make an impact and understanding that it's not just the women in the house that should be saying these words. It's certainly the men that should be saying these words as well, uh, that this is this is both parents um, and if uh, if there's only women in the house, maybe you can get some another man who is uh, maybe an uncle or a friend to also get get on the bandwagon here because I think that people need to hear it from from both sexes in this in this regard. Don't you think think that that's important? Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you making that point. I think you're totally right. They need to hear from they need to hear from both genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they certainly need to hear from women. They certainly need to hear from men yeah. about this. That your other, your other point, I think, is very important, which is, you know, on a lot of matters around sexuality, teens are uncomfortable talking to their parents. Yes. But then you find, you know, if they're too uncomfortable, if you can't have, I mean, I think you do have a basic responsibility to say when something is, is degrading or when you feel like you're, child to say something that is violating another human being you have to say something but in terms of more in-depth conversations i think your point is very important that sometimes you have to find an an aunt or an uncle or some other trusted adult who can have those conversations yes i i certainly feel like myself in that role as as an aunt uh being in that role of of helping my my nieces and nephews grow up to be kind and caring adults um, in all of those regards. You know, many people, I'm sure, who are listening now didn't have the kinds of conversations in school or at home with any caring adult that, that have anything to do with what we're talking about right now. And what I've heard from parents, it's because it's it's often really uncomfortable. They feel unprepared. They're, it's, there's a lot of fear there that they're afraid they're going to send the message that they condone sexual behavior among young teens if they start to talk about it. I imagine schools probably think that maybe this isn't their responsibility to teach kids about love and romantic relationships. They're supposed to be doing all these other things in math and science. And what are the risks of not talking about this? And whose responsibility is it anyway? Well, it's a, these are great questions. I mean, I would say the risk of not talking about it is, um, you know, the emotional and financial costs of relationship failure are tremendous. I mean, um, you know, as I said, half of marriage is running divorce, which has emotional costs for adults and for kids and financial um, consequences, big financial consequences, often for women and their kids. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, the cost of depression, um, the cost of domestic violence, um, the cost of substance abuse, alcoholism. I mean, many kinds of problems are the result of, of relationship failure. So it seems like this is something that as adults, we really do have to take on in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that these conversations are difficult. Um, and that everybody has to do it. Parents have to do it and educators have to do it. It shouldn't be, you know, either or. And, you know, um, because these are big, complex, hard things to do that we're all struggling with. Um, you know, I'm not saying that in terms of education that, you know, I, I'm very aware of how stressed people in schools are and how packed their agenda is. But, um, but I also think, you know, in a sex ed class, or in an English class, um, there are great opportunities to talk about love and romantic relationships and healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to do that. And a lot of sex ed now is just, it's either abstinence only or it's disaster prevention. <laughs> right. 
it's how not to get pregnant or how not to get STDs. Mm -hmm. it, um, you know, it's not how do you develop a caring, res ethical, respectful relationship with somebody else. And one of the things we see in our data is that kids really want to have those conversations, lots of them. Um, that's really uh, where their, their worries are. That's really where their hopes are. And this is a great way of meeting kids where they are. And I, and I guess I would say one other thing about it in terms of schools, which is, you know, the fights about sex ed in this country have been ferocious um, about what you can teach, what you can't teach. I actually think we could reach a lot of agreement about respect and care and romantic relationships. So, I mean, it sounds to me like what you found is that young people really aren't prepared for romantic love. So if they're not, what are some specific ways that our listeners, our parents, educators, mentors can specifically prepare them for a caring, loving relationship? Well, let me... Um... Let me just sort of answer that, uh, you know, you know, two ways. Um, one is that I do think there are opportunities all the time to engage our kids about um, different aspects of healthy, gratifying uh, romantic relationships and sexual relationships. And just to tell you a very quick story, I was, my daughter gave me permission to tell you this. Oh, I love this. Thank you, daughter. Uh, yeah. So when she's, she's 21 now, when she was about 14 or 15, um, we were watching, we used to watch Grey's Anatomy together. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, oh, yeah. but, um, you know, little Grey is going, I can't remember whether it's McDreamy or McSteamy, but I think she's going out with McSteamy and little Grey's probably in her late 20s. McSteamy is probably in his late 30s. And she comes to his apartment and I'm watching the show with the daughter and, the, and he says, she says to him, you need to teach me. And when she means like, you need to teach me how to have gratifying sex. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, she's sexually experienced. I just think this is a bizarre situation, you know, bizarre, you know, you know, strange and disturbing thing to say to me. And I said to my daughter, you know, it's really important to me that you understand that you're going to have to teach you. There's a lot you have to teach men um, about sex. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you really have to be, um, you know, you have to take charge here and really take responsibility. And she said to me, if you ever say anything like that to me again, I'll never speak to you. And, um, and you know, and we laughed um, and she walked out of the room. <laughs> that didn't go exactly as planned. <laughs> but you know, I have to say, I, I do not regret that I said it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the plays, one of the places that parents get stuck is that it's not like our kids are going to, you know, say, you know, oh, I'm so grateful to you for saying that to me. I mean, these are hard conversations. They're awkward conversations, mm -hmm. but um, they're conversations we need to have. And, you know, and this does not often happen in parenting, but, you know, my daughter said to me recently, and again, she's 21, that, um, you know, she thought I was clumsy about it sometimes, but she got that I was really about her having authority and being an equal in, in her relationships with men. And that was a very, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you did that. <laughs> wow. That feels good. You no, know, that doesn't happen that often. But, and she didn't, re you know, she didn't, she didn't remember this specific episode as well as I did. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but the point, 
you know, being that, you know, there are times where we do, we just have to plow through. And it's important to say, even if our kids can't register at the moment, I think, you know, they often do register it in some deeper way and it can affect them. If you could, if you can imagine a teenage boy is sitting with his parent, maybe he's in the backseat of the car and, you know, driving along or I don't know, they're walking somewhere and the parent is is there with the the the, the child and and they've listened to this parent has listened to what you're saying what would you want specifically for a parent to say to a teenage boy to help prepare that particular teen for an ethical loving romantic relationship based on respect and care what kind of things would you want them to convey to that boy well, it's, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I, and I think there, there are three or four things that I would really want to, to highlight. Um, one of them is that, you know, one of the things that we see in our data is that a lot of parents aren't having conversations with their kids about basic things, about like what consent is, what harassment is. And you got to have a conversation with your child about um, what sexual consent means, what harassment means, what basic respect means in a relationship. That a lot of kids don't know that you shouldn't catcall um, a woman, for example. I mean, that, you know, a lot of women find that offensive and frightening, mm-hmm. and you've got to have those conversations. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of men don't know what consent means in, in a relationship. Um, that it's not just a matter, you know, if a, if a woman doesn't physically fight back, that doesn't mean that she's giving you consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and either you know, basic things like that, that you really got to convey to men um, to, and to boys that, you know, again, in our data, there are a lot of parents who are having, aren't having those conversations. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, you know, a message that you want to convey, two more messages specifically, you know, one is that you know, this is sort of a Martin Luther King quote, like you can't be who you ought to be unless your partner is who she is, Mm -hmm. she or he ought to be. Um, That you really want uh, to have a relationship of care and respect because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's going to elevate you and elevate the relationship. Um, And that's what the really, the real challenging thing is. The challenging thing is not you know, to divide girls into good girls or bad girls or good girls or sluts or to degrade girls or to brag about your conquests, that's all kind of pathetic. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to do something hard and challenging and courageous and tough, figure out how to have a a deep reciprocal romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a much harder thing to do, Mm -hmm. a much more important thing to do. The third thing I would just say is that, you know, we are all... uh, you know, when we start a sexual relationship or, or a romantic relationship, you know, we are like wading into a riptide of feeling. I mean, these very powerful cross currents of feeling. Um, we might have a lot of anxiety. We might have shame. We might have frustration. We might have anger. I mean, sexuality and love bring out, you know, clearly bring out um, these profound and intense feelings. And, um, you know, I think the other message I, that I would convey is that it's really important um, when you have those feelings to learn how to manage them, to talk to me as a parent about them. If you're having difficulties managing them or to talk to a friend or to talk to an uncle or an aunt 
or something, if you're finding yourself really anxious or frustrated or angry or, you know, whatever those, those feelings are, that this is very difficult terrain and where a lot of people struggle, it's normal, and sometimes you need help. So if we flipped this and now, now we're sitting in front of a, a daughter, what kind of messages would be the same and, and what might be different that you would want to add to the conversation? So, you know, I think, um, I think some of the messages, I think your point is right, that some of the messages are the same, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it is wrong, you know, as we, as we were talking about, I think it's wrong to assume that it's only men degrading or manipulating girls. Um, one of the things that my women students have said when I have talked about misogyny is that, and some of the men too, is, they said, you know, I don't think you realize, you know, how much women can be manipulative mm-hmm. and um, sure. degrading to men and to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, in the context of romantic and sexual relationships, women undermining each other. And so, you know, I think some of the messages around respect and care and not manipulating and not leading men on, um, you know, I think um, not just liking a man because he's the captain of the football team. Mm-hmm. Um, or has high status, um, you know, um, those are important conversations to have with girls too. And, and you know, and, and I'm obviously not, uh, you know, I don't think the big problem here is girls or women leading men on. I think mm-hmm. that, um, the big problem is, is misogyny. But it, but there are forms of manipulation that are very important to talk to girls about. I think the other thing is that girls. Uh, you know, the more girls are succeeding at work and more they're outperforming boys at school, the more subordinate it appears they are in their romantic and sexual relationships. I mean, more, you know, re- relationships are, for them, are about servicing males and subordinate and and being subordinate. And the more prey they are to misogyny. So the issues around self-respect for girls and self-assertion and, and solidarity with other girls, mm. like you're not in this alone, you're with your sisters and mm. you get and the importance of not undermining each other. I mean, I think those are messages for girls mm-hmm. that are very important. Um, okay. And, and different from some of the messages that you would send to boys. Right. Okay. Yes. And and um, I would imagine that, you know, if, if a parent doesn't feel that their relationship that they've had in the past has been very loving and caring... Um, it's important to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and also the times when you feel like you have had positive relationships. So telling your stories, and if you can, provide a good model for these kids would be really important. Um, but I would just, I'm just wondering for those parents who, who have had a really disruptive relationship with somebody else, maybe even in front of the, their teen, how, how can they deal with that and, and still send a positive message to their kids? Um, so I, 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 I think there's another, another great question. The, you know, I, I think the, um, I think you're totally right that a lot of parents do feel hobbled or disabled in these conversations because they feel like they failed in their own relationships. And the truth is that, you know, relationship failures can generate in my mind as much wisdom as relationship successes. Bingo. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you just have to, whether you're in a successful relationship or whether you've had a rocky time with relationships, you just have to do the work. I mean, you sort of have to distill the lessons, boil down the lessons you've learned, really reflect about, you know, what you've learned about what can go right and what can go wrong in a relationship and why, um, um, what you may have missed and, uh, and what kind of messages that you, th- you know, what kind of messages do you think are important to convey to your kids? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so your kids don't make some of the mistakes that you did or don't get caught up in some of the destructive relationship patterns that you might have had. Um, right. Like we all, you know, part of the simple t- guideline here, guidepost is, I just, I'm really wanting us to talk about this more. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm wanting parents to think about this more, and I'm wanting parents to talk to each other more. I love that. I think that's really important. And I, I'm wondering if you're going to say that's your top tip, but it is top tip time. If you would want parents to come away with one thing, one piece of advice that, that they could take from this podcast, what would you say is the top tip you'd want them to come away with? Well, you know, I think... Th- the top tip is that we are backing away from this topic and we're very skittish about both romance and about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we really have to find a way to engage it, that it's so critical. We're seeing, you know, so many romantic and sexual problems among our kids. And we really have to become more thoughtful about it, more engaged with it, find constructive ways to talk to young people about it. And part of that is beginning the conversation with each other and, you know, not wringing our hands about the hookup culture, um, you know, which is concerning in some ways, but getting focused on this other question, which is what do we really understand about healthy love, healthy romantic and sexual relationships, and how do we pass on that wisdom to our kids? Right. Start the conversation, even if you have to fumble through a little bit. <laughs> fumble through. You know, we don't, you know, I think we don't need to feel like we have all the answers. Right. I, I just think that this is, you know, we'll learn a lot, too. I mean, I think, you know, we should go into these conversations with some insights, but we do not need to have all the answers. And these can be wonderful conversations with our kids. Thank you. So so here's the resource of the week. We want to just find out where people can get more information about you and your incredible new study and any of your books. So where, where can we send people? Well, our report is coming out on May 15th. I think oh, I, May 15th. Okay. I told you May 1st and I was, um, it's gotten delayed a couple of weeks. So it's coming out on May 15th. But at makingcaringcommon.org, Um, the report and a number of resources around uh, many resources around engaging your kids in conversations about romance and sexuality, healthy relationships and sexuality will be um, up on our website. Terrific. Well, Dr. Richard Weisbord, thank you so very much for joining us today and talking to us about how we can really be a solution to our teens, how we can teach them about love and ethical romantic relationships instead of leaving it up to chance. You have provided us with really important information about a topic that I think you know, parents can feel a little stressed out over, feel like they don't have so much control over. But actually, it turns out that you gave them some good tips and scripts. And maybe we have more control and more influence than we think we we might have already had in the past. So that that feels really good. And I want I want to thank you for that. 
You bet. No, it's been it's it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I'm I'm cheering for you. I think I think this is a great a great topic you're taking on. I think the topics you take on are great. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I I just love what you said about you really just get in there and have the conversation, even if you feel awkward. We've got to have the conversation, and if not you, how about somebody else in your family who can be a point person, a mentor? I I think those are all really good tips. Um, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm sure the listeners are all very excited to hear all the things you've had to say today. Great. Thank you. Take care. Uh, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. And if you love this podcast like I did, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can find out all about it as well and listen to these incredible solutions. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. And on the days we fall short, and you know we all have them, never forget there's always tomorrow. Failure is normal. Try again. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity. Please know you are 10 times the parents you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.